Good morning. Today, the title of the message is Christian Hope. Christian Hope. Do you remember about about three weeks ago, two weeks ago, we have been teaching on a series. It's called Rooted and Grounded in Love. And in series number four, we talked about Nehemiah, faith, hope, and charity, love, and we talked that hope was very important. We gave the definition of hope also. We said that biblical hope now, not worldly hope, but just biblical hope, is where you desire something good to happen to you. You you have some desire, but Christian hope goes a little further. It says that not only do you desire it, you expect it. You anticipate it happening. That's the difference between just the world's hope. Uh, before I was uh, born again, uh, I just had hope. You know how some people, um, I was looking on the uh, Internet at some of the game results and some of the uh, news and things like that, and they had this uh, mega, what do they call that thing? Mega who? Oh, oh, how did y'all know that? (laughs) Okay, all right. Uh, You know, you have these hopes. When I I was young, the the thing was uh, they had these, they sent clearinghouse uh, things in magazines, and and we would, uh, if you send in this thing, your name be put in the pot, you know, you can pull out, and you might win. Uh, the prize and get a $50,000 house. Uh, that's what, 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 what the way it was when I was growing up when I was a teenager. I said, man, a $50,000 house. Wow! Man, you know, I can go to this, you know. Uh, and I know some of y'all don't, don't, don't relate to that, you know. Uh, probably most of you don't relate to it. But I know some of you do, Steve. Don't you even laugh. I know some of you remember this stuff. So. Um, but that's hope. Worldly hope. We're not talking about world hope today. We're talking about biblical hope, Christian hope. Let's call it Christian hope. Now, I I use biblical hope only because the word Christian, sometimes people use that word, and uh, it's kind of like a word that you know they're not a Christian, but they think they are. So I I, I, I said biblical hope, but, you know. Christian hope, that's what we're talking about, Christian hope. Now, today, we're celebrating the Passion Week. Started on a Sunday with uh, Palm Sunday, which is today. We celebrate it today, Palm Sunday. Let's look in our Bibles in Mark chapter 10. Let's go there. Verse 35. And we see why Jesus, in this scenario, we see why Jesus came 
to the earth, one of the reasons. We know that because of the sin of Adam, of course, and Eve, we know that there was a separation between man and God, the Father. And there had to be a bridge. There had to be a, uh, in, order, in order to get back to the Father, we had to have a mediator. We had to have an intercessor. We had to have uh, someone to pay the price. And it couldn't be, of course, it could not be a man. Because every man that's born is born in sin. James and John, this is verse 35, the two sons of Zebedee came up to Jesus saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Grant that we may sit one on your right and one on your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, are you uh, to be baptized with the baptism which I am to be baptized? They said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you shall, you shall drink. And you shall be baptized with the baptism which I am baptized. But to sit on my right or on my left, this is not mine to give, but it is for those of, for whom it has been prepared. Verse 41. Hearing this, the ten began to feel indignant with James and John. Why do you think they began to feel indignant? <laughs> you think they said, whoopee, praise God, you know. I, I was hoping that you all would get to sit his right hand because we sure didn't want to. You know? 42, calling them to himself, he said to them, we know they were, they were, they were they were upset because why, why, why are you asking such a thing? Who do you think you all are? You know, the, the usual things that, that we do when we get in the flesh. You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles, Lord, it over them. And their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not to be this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you, you shall be their servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. Now that's interesting, isn't it? Now that, that was a revelation for them because nobody wants to be a slave. Nobody wants to be a, a servant of everybody. Everybody wants to be the greatest. Everybody wants to sit at the best seats. Everybody wants to do, uh, you know, be recognized and, and to be called upon and to be saying, oh, yes, this person, yes, that person, oh, they're the greatest. But nobody wants to be in the background. Listen what it says in verse 45. This is a key verse. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. For many. Now, I say that Jesus came to the earth. We see two reasons. One is to serve, not to be served. But the main reason is to give his life as a ransom, didn't he? Without that, we wouldn't be here today, would we? 
in the circumstance that we are here today. We would not be here today. Worshiping God, singing praise and adoration to God. We wouldn't be there doing that if it were not for his life that was shared for many. That's what we are celebrating today, that process of where he was going from uh, and going to Jerusalem to die for the sins of, a, of us all. And I said, wow, that's very important for us to remember this particular day. Now, let's tie that in to uh, what I said about hope. Because of what he did, we know the story. We know, um, uh, I can show you the videos, I can do all those type of things, we've done it before, of different things he's gone through in the Passion Week. But how does it give us hope? How does it give us hope? How does it give us biblical hope? Because of what he did. You see, when it said way back in Genesis, when, when he pronounced the uh, curse upon the serpent and uh, he disciplined the woman, she had consequences also. We know that he was setting up all that time that this is what's going to happen. That Satan <laughs> going to crush his, he's going to bruise his heel, but Jesus is going to crush his head. And it's so important uh, because we know, like next week, we'll be celebrating, celebrating the Resurrection Sunday. So we know that because of this, what he did in giving his life as a ransom, we have hope. We are not people without hope. The world is without hope. Because if I died, if you died, before we got saved, what hope do we have? None. We're not coming back as an animal. We're not doing all this. And people got all these sorts of crazy things that they say. We know that we only leave this body once. And we know we'll be home with the Lord. We know that. We know that anyone who's not born again, that's why it's very important for you to try to do what you can to invite people to service because people are so um, uh, they, they, they are willing on, on, on Easter to come to church usually. Uh, more than any other day of the year, any other Sunday of the year, they are willing to come is to try to do that because of the salvation of souls. That's very important. Very important. So, I know that I have this hope that once I die, I'm going to be with the Lord. I have this hope. And what does that hope mean? It's an anticipation. It's an expectation. It's joyful. I'm excited about it. Right? I don't want to leave before my time. 
But I do. But I don't know my time. <laughs> so I, I need to live, live every day as if he's coming back for me this day. Is that correct? Let's look in 1 Corinthians. Christian hope. Chapter 15, Christian hope. Christian hope, verse 20. It says, starting in verse 20, we'll read through 24. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, who is it talking about? Adam. Okay. Since by the death of a man came death, by a man also the resurrection of the dead. <laughs> oh, yes, indeed. Jesus. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Whew. Aren't you glad you're in Christ? But each in his own order. Christ the first fruits. After that, those who are Christ's at his coming. Talking about the second coming. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power. So we're going to either be in Christ or we're going to be not in Christ. Christian hope says that in Christ, you will be resurrected and be with him eternally. With him. Where there would be no son. Because he is going to be all the light we need, isn't he? Jesus. Let's go over to verse 51. Same chapter. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, <laughs> and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on imperishability. And this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on imperishable, and this mortal have been put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Do you believe the scripture? Death is swallowed in victory. O death, where is your victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Before we were born again in Adam, death, we had, we had fear in death. Because fear brought us torment because we knew that if we died, we didn't know what was going to happen. And we knew that, man, we don't want to be, you know, in fire and brimstone. So we were in fear. 
But now, in Christ, oh, oh, death, you don't have any sting. And you don't have any sting whatsoever. There's victory in death. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Very important. Very important. On Tuesday, uh, we, at least I got the uh, sad news from Chad that uh, Josie had been hit and uh, was on the way to the hospital and was not breathing. And so immediately I started praying. And then he called me back later and said she didn't make it. And again, um, I started praying again uh, because I wanted to pray for Joy and Jason in particular because I knew the situation a little bit. Uh, it was a it was a tragedy, a tragedy. And I want to thank uh, the body, the elders. We are so, so, um, you know, grateful and 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 and, and uh, really just excited about to see the word of God working in you, because that that's a that that's a um, uh, a desire all the time to see fruit. To see whether you're learning anything. Because you can hear a lot of things, but learn nothing. You remember in school? (laughs) (laughs) Some of you do. (laughs) And to see the body pull together like you did and like you are doing. I mean, you know, it's nothing that you're not doing to make it comfortable, to make it uh, comforting, and to provide, provide for them is nothing you're not doing. And that's exciting to see that because it's the Word of God. Isn't it? It's the Word of God. Your heart goes out for them. Well, uh, our heart goes out for them. Another thing that, that, that really excited me is that in the midst of things like this, and we're looking for fruit again that may abound to your account, is that what we didn't see, which is a good thing. Okay? We didn't see anybody bickering like the 12 disciples over who's doing this and who's doing that, you know, and, and why is, you know, why wasn't I called and this and that. This, this, do you realize this goes on? You know, one of the times when David was um, 
when Absalom usurped authority and, and uh, then he was killed and he came back to, David was coming back and some of the, some of the uh, sons of Israel were upset with the other ones because they weren't called in to help bring him back to Jerusalem. I said, what? What is that all about, you know? He's coming back. Why can't you all be glad? They were upset because they weren't called in to help. I didn't see, I haven't heard any of that. The elders have not heard any of that. That is fruit to your account. It is. Because that can happen. Don't you think just because it's a tragic situation that people don't get in the flesh? Don't you think that? Don't you think that? Because you know, as well as I do, do sometimes when parents die, they had in the money, and there's a will. Man, my kids, they start fighting each other over who's going to get money. Why didn't I get this? All that stuff happens, you see, in Christianity. We didn't see any of that. Thank God. We didn't see any of that. That's good. But what I wanted to address today my, my message changed, of course. You understand that on Tuesday. It changed because I was going to teach on another fruit of the Spirit, another result or uh, effect of the Spirit. Uh, but it changed. So one of the objectives today was to make sure that we knew how to respond in comfort and encouragement to Jason and Joy, and to others also. And also to think biblically also. Because when things happen, if there's no instruction, a lot of times there are questions that people have that, you don't, that nobody gives you answers to, and somebody will tell you something and you start believing that. And sometimes we say the wrong thing to people, and it's not an encouragement. And we wanted to uh, do that today. One question that comes up, and and I, I know it's, I know it, know it comes up, is what happens? Uh, what what happened to the Josie? Where, where 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 did she go? Yeah. And I know all the adults and and all of you are so wise and everything. Uh, you. You know, scripturally, can you prove anything? Can you, can you go to the Word of God and tell your children where Joseph is? Can you do that? And I know you say, well, yeah, I can do that. Well, let me, let me, let me explain to you. And, and um, it's really scripturally, there's nothing definite in Scripture that tells you about a little child that's definitely, you know, this, this, this. If they're little like Josie was little and she didn't have that opportunity, or let's say, you know, to know right from wrong, or, well, just to know as far as uh, the salvation of souls and to know all the things, different things like that and we have. Uh, children's like that. But what does Scripture say? Because, because you have to teach 
So what, what does Scripture say? Well, we know that everybody who's born, and even in the womb, we know that everybody that's conceived is conceived in sin. Do we know that? Because it's from Adam. Do we know that? Okay, we know that. And we know that there's none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3, we know that. So, how do we prove anything? I don't know what your theology is, but let me tell you, whatever it is, it better be right. You see, because I don't care whether you say, well, I'm a Reformed theologist, I'm a a mean, I'm a Calvinist, I don't care what you are, okay? But let me tell you, you better know God. You better know God. And that's what went on with the Pharisees. They didn't know God. Okay? And I believe because of Scripture, I believe that every single child that's conceived that doesn't have the ability to make it to the salvation of their souls, to the you know, age of accountability, whatever that is, which I don't know. You know, I, I have Scriptures that I can kind of teach on it a little bit. But there's nothing that this is the age of accountability. You know, there's nothing in there. Okay. They are going to be with the Lord. I can tell you that. Guaranteed. And somebody say, well, well, I'm a, a man. I believe that you can, you know, you can, you got to be able to choose, you know. No, 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 no. I'm a Catholic. I believe that if they weren't elect, no, 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 no. I don't care what your theology is, uh, the grace of God, the mercy of God takes care of everybody who's conceived and didn't have that opportunity. Okay? That means that all the ones who, now conception starts when, they, when the baby is conceived, Right? <laughs> we'll we'll stop there. <laughs> we'll stop there. <laughs> so that means that in a miscarriage, in a uh, uh, abortion, whatever the situation may be, they are with the Lord. And I wanted to straighten that up because actually I was asked that question this morning. See, you might not have been asked a question, but I'd already prepared for that because God had told me to prepare for it. And, but not, not only to prepare, but to teach it. Okay? Because you don't want to, it's no encouragement to be around Jason and Joy and say, well, you know, I don't know, was she saved? That's, a, don't, that's no encouragement. And it's not wisdom either. You understand? So I'm trying to help us to uh, think right. I'm trying to help us think right. Okay, so we can be an encouragement. But not only just encouragement to, to Jason and Joy, but also you are ministers. You are ambassadors. That are supposed to be in, out in the workplace, out in the, in the marketplace. There are many people that go through the same thing that happened uh, to Christians, and what are you going? You, are you going to be God's voice to be able to speak life in that situation, to speak truth in that situation? That's why I'm teaching. Okay, very important, very important. So that's why 
I wanted to go over that that part portion. I also wanted to uh, ask a few people who have uh, experienced a loss of a small one. We have people in the congregation who, who experienced a loss of a uh, of a son of or two people here today lost a son uh, before, and um, it's not encouraging to tell anybody. And so please don't do that. You'll get over it. You're not going to get over it. How are you going to get over your child? You see? So I'm trying to help you now. I'm trying to help us to be able to be an encouragement to people. Not only to uh, Jason and Joel, but also to in your workplaces and, and things like that. What to say and what not to say. So I asked uh, Lee and Jan uh, Griever to come up. Would, I, would you come up, Lee and Jan? They, they've lost two children, um, Matthew and Timothy. And uh, I want them to share a little bit about that. Uh, and then we'll have a... Y'all come on up. Okay, come, come on up. So just show that people can see you. Willie called us on our way back from Florida on Friday and, and asked us to share. I said we would. When I got home, I was going through three months' worth of mail, and one of the things in the mail was a mental health newsletter, and it was entitled Kids Grieve Too. And I wanted to share a few things from that. It says, there are no right or wrong ways to grieve, and children should be allowed to grieve, not protected or sheltered from the loss by well-meaning adults. Recognizing and respecting the way a child grieves is critical to a family's healing process. When Matthew died, Joanna was about two and a half years old, and it was interesting to watch what she did. She had a baby doll that she announced was sick. And she carried the baby around and put the baby in its bed. And that went on for a couple of weeks. And all of a sudden, the baby was gone. And the baby had gone to heaven. Preschool children often see death as temporary and reversible. They may show fear at being left alone because they sense a loss of love and protection. They may act out throw temper tantrums, and regress to more immature behavior. Children six to nine years old do not have a concrete understanding as to the finality of death and may confuse it with sleep. They may see loss as a punishment of their own wrongdoing and may even fear for their own safety. Honesty is of absolute importance after a loss or death. Children will ask questions. The best thing to do is answer them truthfully Avoiding euphemisms, children should be told that someone died or was killed instead of being told the person of Pat went to sleep, passed away, or was lost. These vague expressions may lead a child to believe that the person or pet will wake up, return, or simply needs to be found. Remembering and talking about a person or pet is also a valuable part of the healing progress.
are some of the things that were helpful to me. Uh, Grief is exhausting. Visits from family and friends are welcome, but they need to be short. Otherwise, you're put in the position of trying to maintain a conversation when you're so exhausted and all you want to do is lie down and you're just too polite to ask them to leave. Don't bring books that you are sure will help them because you don't have any concentration. It will be months before you can really read and concentrate, and you're not going to be able to concentrate on a book that's supposed to help you. Just come over and clean the house. I had someone who did that. They came over. They cleaned my house. They didn't try to talk to me. They just did it, and they left. Delivered meals are always appreciated, especially after weeks or months have passed. Doing things with the other children is important, too. And remembering anniversary dates with a call, a card, a plant. The first Thanksgiving, the first Christmas, family birthday get-togethers, they're always, always difficult. And especially Josie's birthday and the date of her death will always be difficult. And there are things, like Willie was saying, that you shouldn't say. You shouldn't be saying, Josie is now an angel. We had that happen at Matthew's memorial service. Somebody came up to Jonathan and said, Matthew is now an angel. And Jonathan's response was, no, he's not. He's better than the angels. Uh, And you don't say, God needed another angel. You don't want to say, you just have to trust this was God's will. It's just not helpful. You know, even as a believer, it's not helpful. It's not helpful to hear all things work together for those who love God. You already know that, but it's not a thing you want to hear. We had tremendous support from a home church that we were involved in, Jack and Ginny and Nancy Harlow, Nancy McCann, Eddie McCann, uh, all his brothers. They were all part of that. One dear brother came to us when Matthew was sick, and he said that he had prayed that God would allow him to lay down his life so Matthew could live. So we were so loved. I was in Charleston, West Virginia with Matthew, and there was a Christian couple across the street, a young couple with small children, and they moved into our home, and they took care of Jonathan and Joanna while Lee was traveling back and forth and while Lee was teaching. So there's many ways that the body can reach out, and we just wanted to share that so you can be effective because I know that's the desire of your hearts. Well, I'd just like to share some of the things that <clears throat> when we had the loss of Matthew and then four years later, uh, Timothy. Matthew lived for a little over six months and Timothy just lived for a few hours. Uh, we found out that uh, some people say, well, time will heal. Uh, but you never get over it. <clears throat> If you imagine if you lost your arm, uh, would you ever get over the fact that the arm was gone? <laughs> but you may adjust to that eventually. And that's a, <clears throat> the goal of the loss of a child, is that 
eventually you can adjust, but it's not inevitable. Um, there's a <clears throat> one thing that's not real helpful, and we heard from time to time, was that time will heal all wounds. Well, time alone doesn't heal anything. Uh, we were involved in helping to start a support group for bereaved parents. And as, as time went on for some people, things got worse. There's a high divorce rate among parents who have lost children. Uh, as time went on for some people, they just got more bitter and more in despair. <clears throat> it's what God does in your life during that time. And being able to respond to his grace is the thing that makes the difference. There's a false idea, I believe, that some people have that if you have strong faith, then you're not going to be affected by death. It's not going to bother you. Um, well, death was defeated by Jesus Christ on the cross. The death was defeated, but it's not yet destroyed. And as Pastor Willie read, the last enemy that's going to be destroyed is death. So that's the last enemy God's going to utterly destroy. It's a very significant enemy. Death stinks. We don't have to think that death is wonderful. Now, God redeems it. We don't need to be fear death. But if God despises death, it's okay for us to despise it. Um, then God's going to destroy it. That's great hope. Um, there are two things that realizations that helped me early on in our grieving process. And uh, one was kind of summarized by uh, what we find in John 11. And uh, verse 33 through 36, you remember the, the uh, account? <clears throat> Jesus got word that Lazarus was uh, deathly sick, and he waited a few days. And uh, he did this under the Lord's direction. And when he came to visit Bethany where uh, Lazarus had died, as he approached his when Jesus therefore saw her weeping, this was Mary who came to meet him, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. Now remember what he was ready to do. He's going to raise Lazarus, maybe just a few hours from that point. He knew what he was going to do. He knew that Lazarus would rise from the dead. And yet, Jesus was deeply moved, and he was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. That verse that we all, that, that's the one verse we want to memorize as a child, right? Because it's so short. But Jesus wept. And... Uh, the Jews were saying, Behold how he loved him. And early on in our grieving process, in fact, uh, for both Matthew and Timothy, we had a, a sense that Jesus was taking them up in his own arms. 
and we're talking about something now that happened 32 and 36 years ago. And we're not over it. But we've adjusted. But we're very conscious of the fact that whatever pain or whatever sorrow we were experiencing, that Jesus bore that with us. In Hebrews 4, it says that he is our sympathetic high priest and he bears our suffering with us. There was another realization that was very helpful to me too. And we find that in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, especially in verses uh, 14 through 16. The Apostle Paul, he writes and he says to them, <clears throat> if I got the right verse there. But I do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as the rest who have no hope. Paul didn't say, do not grieve. He said, don't grieve like those who have no hope. And as Pastor Willie said, we have a blessed hope. Um, what difference does that make? He said, for we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. The thing that would make grief unbearable, I believe, would be the thought you've lost them forever. But we're very confident of the fact that the separation we had with our sons is temporary. You know, uh, we feel that God has called us to, to uh, volunteer for three months of hardship duty in Florida, you know. <laughs> uh, and we'll be shared, I guess, some other time about that. But we're very busy. It's not a vacation. We work hard. We see a lot of fruit. Uh, but we miss you all uh, when we're gone. But we don't. Grieve terribly because we expect we'll see you again. And uh, we have that same expectation. I have this theory that uh, once we get our new bodies, we're all going to be 30 years old. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe 33, however, however old Jesus was. <laughs> and so uh, Matthew and Timothy and all those in my my dad and mom who came to the Lord uh, before they died, we're all going to be that age. But there's going to be a great reunion. But meanwhile, we miss them. Uh, some of the things that are helpful, and Jan has already touched on these, is just uh, I remember people being awkward about what to say, what to do. But even, a, even a, the attempt, even if it was an awkward attempt, there was grace that we received from that. And I would say any, anything that you can say sincerely, even if just I'm really sorry. Um, I know it must be very painful. Um, that, that's grace. And if they, God gives grace in any expression of love or caring or kindness.
Um, as Jed has mentioned, practical help. Go, go cut the grass. <laughs> uh, or clean the house. Or do, maybe help with child care. Um, there are all kinds of things that we can do. God can lead you on what to do. Things that are not so helpful, especially in the early days and early weeks and months of grief, uh, would be giving a lot of instruction. Well, you should do this or that. Or like Dan said, maybe giving the book. It's, it's too early for that. Later on, that can be very helpful. Um, probably you want to be very careful about saying, I know how you feel. And we've lost two children, but I don't think I would want to say to Jason or Joy, I know how you feel. We're all we're different, and their their death is not the uh, their child is not the same as the death of our child. Um, so that that would probably not be real helpful. But later on, a book or scriptures um, suggestion. One brother said, sing. You know, just sing. You know, that the, and there's some favorite hymns. There can be a, a blessing in that and turning to the Lord, focusing on Him. So there's... Uh, God is a Redeemer. And God things in our life, did things in our lives uh, that were... Blessing certainly made me more tender-hearted than I would have been otherwise. Um, it's not that God brings death so that He can do this stuff in our lives. Death is an enemy. Uh, it's a terrible enemy, but death is going to be destroyed, and we can grieve for those who have hope and. Uh, Look to encourage those that we love, their brothers and sisters who are going through that. Thank you so much. Let's give God a hand for what He's doing. Thank you, Bob. I want to also have a, another. Illustration of some a loss. I've asked my wife, Minerva, to come up. Yeah, I asked my wife to uh, to share a little about the loss in her life. We we, we never lost a child. Uh, she has lost a brother who was uh, about a year old, uh, but um, I want her to share a little bit about that that experience because I think the experience that God gave her really can encourage can encourage us. I hope I can get through this. <laughs> Just like Lynn um, Jen said, it's not hard. I'm not easy to... Um, to uh, share sometimes about experiences, especially when you, because I've never shared this. I don't even know if I've even shared it with my children totally. But um, when I was about 18 years old, uh, uh, well, um, let me go back a little bit. Um, 
I came up in a family that was very dysfunctional, I felt like. <laughs> my father was a weekend alcoholic, and, um, and my mother never drank. She was, but but um, we, uh, because of, and I'm the oldest of nine children, and because of the, um, I guess, the, the situation with my parents, the, the dysfunction and, um, you know, trying to raise three, ch- uh, nine children and, um, we, uh, we just, uh, my parents, um, had things that they would, they weren't born again for one thing. Well, I don't know if my mother was, but my father was definitely not. I, and I like, uh, I'm glad to say that before he died, he did come to know the Lord. Um, um, because of his alcoholism, weakened alcoholism, I called it, because he, he was a hard worker. And I don't want to dishonor my parents in any way, um, but, um, but he, he was, it was like, um, he was like a totally different person when he drank. And um, so when he was, my parents would go out on the weekends and they would party because they would, you know, they would uh, go uh, I had relatives that owned a uh, store and a dance uh, um, place where they would go in, in at night and dance, and uh, and, and um, they were very strict on us. Though it was just very interesting. I guess because they, my mother was Catholic; she was raised Catholic. And uh, anyway, um, I gave my life to the Lord at the age of about fifteen, and uh, went to. My grandmother actually took me to church. My parents never took me to church. Um, but anyway, they were, um, I guess my father was a, would get very um, intoxicated on the weekends. And this went on, this was all the time. It was rarely that he wasn't um, intoxicated. And uh, But I was the babysitter because I was the oldest, so I took care of all the children. I had to... The responsibility. I was like a mother, really, to my brothers and sisters. And and um, then when um, one uh, evening uh, they had gone out. This was a Saturday. Usually they go out on a Friday and a Saturday. Sometimes they just go out on Friday. Sometimes they just go out on Saturday. And uh, but this particular night they went on a, on a Saturday night. And uh, they were. Um, um, I was at home and keeping the children and. Uh, the, the youngest one, who was Antonio, that was his name, um, uh, I was with him, babysitting him in this late at night. And, and uh, we, um, in our home, we, we had just three bedrooms, and the TV was in our parents' room. So every, if it was Friday or Saturday, when I'd keep the children, well, i put the others to bed, and, and I'd stay up and watch the movies, the late movies, the old movies that were on TV all the time, and stay up as late as I could, you know, until they would come home, because I, I never wanted to go to bed unless they were at home, and so I'd stay up really late, and usually they would come in at a reasonable hour. Well, you would think reasonable, but it, it was kind of late, but, but anyway... Um, this particular night, and also my father smoked, and also my father gambled. He liked to, you know, pay, play dice and cards and all this kind of stuff. And and I really, uh, and and I think it was just the the way he had grown up. His uh, his he had a lot of 
uh, cousins and, you know, and, and they all work together and, you know, and this type of thing. But anyway, uh, this particular night, um, my mother and father had gone out. And I was at home keeping the children. I was keeping the baby. and Well, the rest of them I put in the bed because it was really extremely late. And my father had come in, but he had come in with, with some men. And they were in the living room. And the living room is, is really very long and it's separated from the kitchen and the, uh, and the other two of the bedrooms. But anyway, uh, I, um, I went, I was trying to wait till they, let, you know, to these everyone left and before I went to, to, to you know go to bed and go to sleep and um, my mother hadn't my father had come in and but my mother had not come in and I and that normally doesn't happen I don't know why she didn't come in with him that night my neighbors because he came in with these men and they were gambling in the living room but it was like I said it was extremely late so I um I got up, I, Antonio, well, he was asleep, and I was in the, my father's mother's bed, and he was asleep. And so I got up, and I went in, into the living room and just to see if they were still, you know, doing what they were doing, gambling and stuff. So, And they were, and I guess it was about 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. I was extremely tired. So I decided that, you know, I, I just had to go to sleep. And, uh, um and and the baby, Antonio was he was about a year old and he was asleep and I didn't want to wake him up to move him, and um, uh, and I you know didn't want to stay and I figured my mother would be home maybe in the next half hour or so because she normally just didn't stay out that late especially without him, but anyway he um, uh, I decided to leave the baby in the on the bed and um, and. and you know, because the bed was against the wall. And I put, you know, when you do a little baby, you try to protect them, make sure they don't roll off or anything like that. So I put pillows all around him and on each side of him to make sure he was protected and, and, and nothing would disturb him. And, and just expecting my mother would come home in a few minutes and, and um, you know, and eventually my father would just, you know, stop doing what he was doing with her. But, um, but um so I, I did that, and then I just went and got in the bed and went to sleep in, my, in our bedroom. And I slept with my sisters, so we just, you know, I just climbed in the bed and went to sleep and um, and left him there. Well, it, um, and my mother finally came home. But when she came home, she came into and she sat on the, she came into sat on the bed with Antonio. And she woke me. She said, "She was nervous. He's not breathing." And uh, and I, you know, and I just uh, jumped up out of the bed because I said, "What do you mean he's not breathing?" And uh, she said, "He's not breathing." So so I just grabbed him <laughs> and I ran into the living room because I didn't know what to do except to take him out of her arms. And I ran into the living room and laid him on the sofa and tried to give him, tried to, you know, help him to breathe or restore him or whatever. But he was gone. Um, uh, my father had, because he was extremely drunk, had gone into the bedroom, I guess to get in the bed. And when he 
because I guess he couldn't control himself or whatever, he pulled the covers and the baby off of the bed and he fell on it. And he suffocated because my father was just, he couldn't get, once he fell on him, he was, he, he, you know, he was underneath him so he couldn't get him off him. And so he, he, um, he couldn't, he struggled. I, um, my sister said she heard something, but she didn't know what it was. And I, but he just, um, but he, he died there. He, and my mother, uh, uh, there was nothing we could do. But, um, but because of that, I ended up blaming myself um, for my brother's death. And I, um, and for years, I, you know, I just, because, you know, when, because I knew God, and I cried out to God to bring him back. And, you know, <laughs> which you don't, you don't really understand. And, and at 18, I did not understand what death was. I didn't understand what, what it was like. I, I never experienced that, you know, death or anything like that. So I didn't know where he was. I didn't know where he went. I just wanted him back. And um, so I just went on uh, and just, uh, I don't think anyone understands how a um, sibling can grieve. But there is a grief that a sibling goes through that I don't think um, parents understand. And they need to be sensitive because my parents, they weren't able to be sensitive because they weren't there. They weren't Christians. They weren't serving the Lord. But, but, um, um, but I did go on, I guess, because I was getting ready to go to school or I was in school. I can't remember which one I was on. Uh, so it, I was able to cope with it. But in my heart, I was always hurting and always sorrowful and always wondering where he was <laughs> because I, I guess I didn't, have, I didn't have a hope because I didn't know the Lord like I needed to know him. I didn't have an understanding. No one had taught me anything. Um, you know, I'd gotten saved, but I just didn't understand. I didn't uh, know what to do, so I just carried grief for years and then um and then when i was 36 years old i was in this prayer group with a bunch of ladies uh, who and some of them are still still in lynchburg uh, we were in a prayer group and we would pray uh every friday all night long every friday we would just pray all night long and and um and where, where we, wherever we could go, you know, we were, when we, at that time, at the age of 36, I was, uh, we were in a uh, school building, I think, and so we couldn't pray at night, late at night there, so we'd try to find a church that would let us pray in or, or either a house. Well, this particular night, uh, I went over to this lady's house, one of the ladies, and we, because we were praying for, um, for Lynchburg College. We were praying for the salvation of souls because that's what we would do. We just pray for people to get saved and, and in the city. And so we just would spend all night just praying for the loss. And um, we, this particular Saturday night, uh, the Friday night, I think, Friday night, we, uh, we had prayed all night. And uh, we, we prayed until around 6 o'clock in the morning. 
and we and I was on my way home and um and I was stopped at the stoplight and all of a sudden God gave me an open vision of my brother and it was he wasn't a baby anymore he was a young man and he was dressed in white and he was smiling at me and I knew it was him but the thing that was so wonderful and that after all these years God had remembered the suffering and the hurt and not knowing where he was. And I think he just wanted me to know that he was all right, that he was taken care of. And, that, and from that moment on, it's like when that happened, everything, the release, the pain, I still, it's like... Elise says, you never, when you lose someone, you, you never quite get over it. But just to know that he was okay, that was what God did for me, to let me know that he was okay. Thank you. And we just uh, thank God for the. Lee, Jan sharing and Minerva sharing about their uh, experiences uh, that are still painful. They can help us. And uh, let's just, just stand and close out. Father, we thank you and praise you for your goodness, Lord. For your mercy, Lord. For your sovereignty, Lord. Father, we know that you are good. And we know that you have a plan for every life. And we know that you love us, Lord. And we know that you love Joseph. And we know where she is. She is with you. Father, we pray that we will be able to be a help, a comfort, an encouragement to um, Jason and Joy and, and, and the children, Justin, Jacob, J.L. Lord. Because they, they lost their sister. So we, we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you that we can be that. Now that we've heard some testimonies that help us, we know she's with you. We can grieve with hope, Lord. With hope, Lord. We know she's with you. If there's anybody here that hasn't given your life to Jesus Christ, now is the time. Because no one knows the number of days that you have, the number of hours you have. No one knows. If, if you're here today and you want to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, just raise your hand and put it back down, and we'll pray for you. Anybody here like that? Anybody here that 
you say, well, you know, I've given my life to Jesus Christ, but I know I'm not living for him. Uh, but this day, I don't want to leave this earth, and I'm not in right standing with my Lord and my Savior. If you want to come back to the Lord and put your life back right, raise your hand and put it back down, and we'll pray for you. Anybody like that? Just, just raise your hand and put it back down. Anybody? Anybody? Father, we pray for the service coming up at 3 o'clock, Lord. We ask you for more grace, Lord. More grace. Grace for Chad in officiating the service. Grace for Jason and Joy and, and their parents and all their brothers and sisters and loved ones. Grace, Lord. Grace. Grace. We ask you for grace, Lord, to help us through this time. And we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. Our website is cornerstonelynchburg.com. You may call us at 434-847-4796. And our physical address is 525 Old Graves Mill Road in Lynchburg, Virginia.